0: It is so good to see you this morning. We're glad that you are with us. If you are a visitor here, welcome home. You have found your place to be. You have found a place that will love you, a place that will accept you. Several years ago, I had a young man come into my office, and he had been attending a few Sundays, had noticed, and he seemed to be very much tuned in. And he just wanted to visit, and so he visited a while, and he looked at me and he said, well, you know, I'd like to be a member someday, but probably can't be. And I said, why not? He says, well, I just have too many questions. I said, you might be interested in this. This is a story for people with questions. This is not a story for people who have it all answered. This is a place where questions were asked beginning with God. And he said, God asked questions? And I said, let's have a look. One of the stories, one of the most interesting things about the Bible are the questions that God asks that we just zip right past as if they, they don't really matter to us, but they are very important. For example, when Adam and Eve sinned against God and they hid in the garden, first of all, that's kind of funny, trying to hide amongst the shrubbery so that God won't find you. When God walks into the garden, however, he says a very interesting thing. He says, where are you? Now, being God, he probably had them located. He, uh, he doesn't need GPS. He's quite good at this. But they didn't understand where they were. And they, they answered, well, we've hidden because we've sinned. They didn't quite understand that where they were was estranged from God. They hadn't gotten that yet. But God began the conversation with the question. But there's another question I want to talk about this morning. I find it fascinating, and it was asked outside the tomb on that Easter morning. Place yourself in a position of the followers of Jesus Christ that first Easter. Place yourself there. We know the story. We'll get up all dressed up and pretty. You can tell who's walking the streets of Franklin later today, who went to church and who didn't, because we want you to know I have some friends here visiting from Colorado. They just found out I own a suit. They assumed somebody had died, and I said, "Well, no, yes, but, but he's back." That was a temporary one. Place yourself in a position of them, though, they don't know the story. Jesus is gone. They put all his hopes in them, and, and they, they, he's gone. They're scattered. They're at the hands of fearful mobs. I mean, the mobs are still roaming the streets. It's not like Jesus died to put him in a tomb, and the mobs and the, ru- and the rulers and the Romans all went, well, that's all right, then we'll just forget all the bets between us and go home. No, doors are still being kicked in. People are still being dragged around. The Romans are agitated. They're on high alert. The believers are questioning their belief. Some are scattering. They're on the road to Emmaus. They're on the roads elsewhere, out of town. Those that remain in town, how many times the Bible says they were in a locked room, hidden in a locked room. Mary Magdalene, perhaps with a couple of other women, they showed nerve. They showed a willingness to die. For to go out on that morning and declare, the first available opportunity after the Sabbath, and to go out and declare that you cared about the man that the Romans just killed and your rulers just killed was tantamount to suicide. And we often don't talk about this. But Mary and her, those women went out to be identified with the dead man whose cause had been lost while the mobs were still in the streets. They find it empty, they're very confused and we read the Old Testament we say why can't they see that well friends they probably weren't allowed to learn to read and had they read and had they been told things they had been told things by the rulers who said that wasn't him no move along nothing to see here they see messengers from God and the messengers from God ask him a very odd question why do you seek the living among the dead we don't get their answer but I think if they were to answer, they would say, we, well, we were seeking the dead. Ah, that's pretty important. It's pretty important you get that question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? They're upset by this. They don't know what's happened. They were still without hope. This was still a Friday night mindset. Sunday morning mindset had not kicked in. And then Jesus appears in John chapter 20, verses 11 through the first part of Verse 15. As Mary stood outside the tomb crying, as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you... And by the way, woman was a very uh, respectful way of speaking. It wasn't like, woman. It 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 was a very respectful term. Why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Who is it you are looking for. They've taken my Lord away, she cried. I don't know where they put him at this. She turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. By the way, if you're wondering, well, didn't she know him? He'd just been crucified. First of all, you're not expecting to see him. Second, he would have been dehydrated, beaten, bruised. His body is not recovered. He asked her, woman, Why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? I want to ask you a question this morning. Who is it you're looking for? It's a very important question. Do you remember Jesus asked that question to his followers? They were confused about John the Baptist. They had expected a nice preacher. And they got this wild guy out there. Didn't smell very good. Didn't dress right. Didn't eat right. And was always yelling at them. And they came to, to Jesus, and they asked him, well, are you who we're looking for? And he sent them away and turned to his other followers, and he said, who did you go out in the desert to see? A reed shaken by the wind? In other words, did you go out to see somebody that would preach what you wanted preached? Did you go out to see a show? Did you go out just to be entertained? There's not much else going on. The movie theaters won't open for 2,000 years. What would you go out to see? It's a very important question. The questions in scripture are pretty important. A lot of people who went to look for Jesus were disappointed at who they found. When Jesus says, who are you looking for, it's not a playful statement. Who are you looking for? You're looking for somebody to solve your problems. That's not Jesus. I know the health and wealth gospel says he is. If you'll just make a donation, if you'll just trust him by giving us stuff, we're not going to do that to you. Jesus did feed people, but he didn't feed them the next day. And he didn't feed them the next day. So feeding them wasn't the point, was it? It was to show them who he was. He even raised people from the dead who died again. That's interesting. You can almost see Lazarus the next time get sick, laying in bed and going, oh, been here before. Here we go again. So raising, raising them from the dead wasn't the point. The point was to show them who he was. Who are, who are you looking for? What do you want on this Easter morning? There are some churches that will make fun of the visitors that only come on Christmas and Easter. I want you to know something. If we haven't seen you since last Easter, we are so happy to see you. We would never speak ill of you. We know you're looking for something. We want to talk about that this morning. Jesus didn't say that if you follow him, you're going to get rid of your problems. He said if you follow him, you'll get more. Do you remember that? He said if you listen to me, families will divide. Peoples will divide, brothers will go against brothers. He was not who a lot of people say he was. I've seen the pictures of Jesus, not the real pictures, but the ones we made up hundreds of years later, and he always, he's so white he looks like he's a member of the Swedish ski team. (laughs) He has beautiful hair, I don't know what products he was using, but it's beautiful. (laughs) Always seemed to have a sheep as an accessory. But the real Jesus was the son of a carpenter, and that word probably means stonemason. He would add scarred hands, muscles, scars on his arms from the bricks and the blocks. He was rough-looking. In fact, he was so rough-looking that when Judas betrayed him, he had to go up and actually grab onto him, kiss him. The word kiss means hug or a kiss. It's hard to know what happened there. But he looked just like the farmers and the fishermen that were standing around him. What would you go out to see? Do you want a vending machine, God, where you put in three prayers, you get out one healing? That's not him. Do you want a puppet that'll do what you want, votes for the party you want, likes what you like? That's not him. Preachers often preach that gospel, don't they? They'll say that following Jesus will make your marriage perfect. It'll, It'll give you endless energy. He'll even straighten your kid's teeth. <laughs> and yet Jesus was said to be a man that was not even handsome to look at. Do you remember Isaiah 53? He wasn't even good looking. If you're following Jesus to get rid of your problems in your life, you need to stop and ask, it, ask yourself, who are you looking for? Jesus didn't tell Mary to stop crying. Have some faith. Come on, get with the program. He didn't do that. He didn't magically take away her confusion. He didn't magically make it safe and give her a safe bubble to where the Romans and the the angry Jewish mobs couldn't get to her. Instead, his solution was to give her a job. She was the first missionary of the risen Lord. Mary, you go tell my apostles. Which is actually a little funny in the original language, because apostles mean one sent to give the message. He says, the, message, the, the messengers don't have the message. Would you take the message to the messengers? At this church, we have a very high view of women. We believe that in Christ, there is no more male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free. Amen? And I think it's interesting, once you get a high view of women, what you find when you read scripture. The first missionary to the Gentiles was not Paul. It was a Samaritan woman. And the first missionary of the risen Lord was not Peter on Pentecost, but Mary on Sunday morning. He says, don't cling to me. Instead, tell my brothers that I'm ascending to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Have faith in that. Not that your problems will be gone, but that death is. Death is no longer one of our problems. Note what the message was note what it was the answer to our tears is we are rising and we are adopted that's the answer rising yes now we live a life without fear interesting isn't it the command given more often than any other from jesus and in the new testament as a whole fear not how many of us were raised in churches that told us to be afraid How many of us were in churches that taught us to be afraid of putting a foot wrong so God wouldn't take us to heaven, or or saying something, or thinking something, or being something wrong, and yet the words that most often came from the lips of Jesus were, fear not. I think it's time we talked more like Jesus and less like the churches in which we were raised. Somebody responded once, but doesn't it say to fear the Lord? whole different word. And it's actually a really bad translation but it's worked its way into our lingo so we keep it. It just means respect. Remember, he's God, you're not. It's very easy. That's all it means. But how can we live without fear? Because we've been adopted. I want to tell you a story. My father's always had a great passion for Appalachia because that's where he found the poor people and so we would go back and forth from wherever we were in the world to Appalachia for a year, two years, a month, six months, three years, whatever it was, we were always back and forth. Well, I can remember once he was working in eastern Kentucky. This happened across the river in West Virginia. I've told the story before, but I want to tell it again some of you will think these things don't happen but that's because you've been raised in the last 40 years the laws have been made a lot tougher but in west virginia there was a man with a wife and three children the oldest of whom was a 12 year old girl his wife died suddenly we have no I, I have no information on why or how but she died of course the kids were just devastated by this very very poor community there outside of um, of, uh, what, let's see, I'm trying to remember the name of the town now I can't do it It's in West Virginia, how's that? Well, a few weeks later The kids got off the school bus And walked up the muddy road to their house And her dad met them at the gate And he said, you'll have to find yourself another place to live I found myself a new woman And she doesn't want any kids They weren't even allowed to come inside To get their stuff He eventually brought them some things to the gate But that was it and they wandered, crying on the roads until it began to get dark. The, uh, the neighbors began to notice and they began to wonder how we could take care of these and who has a relative there and who's, who are they related to over there. And they found homes for the two little ones, but nobody wanted a 12 year old girl. She was right at that danger point. Eventually, somebody found a phone and they, they had a discussion and they remembered hearing the name of a preacher across the river in eastern Kentucky that cared for the poor, maybe he would know somebody that would take her. And so they called my father and he said, bring her. I'll take her. They said, we just, you just need a place temporarily. And he says, no, I'll take her. I was just a wee boy at the time, probably five years old. I ended up four years old maybe. I didn't know what was going on. All I knew was that I and my two sisters weren't allowed to go to bed that night, and that was odd, because my father was a very regimented, scheduled individual. We are in our jammies, sitting on the floor, just watching him pace, not knowing what was wrong. It was late at night, at least to a four-year-old's mind, when the door opened, and I'll never forget my first viewing of her. She came through the door like a startled deer, eyes huge, face swollen from crying, She'd run out of tears or just swollen at that point, shaking, skinny, dirty, disheveled, terrified. First time in my life, I saw that big man go down to his knees. And he dropped in front of her. And he said, We girl, you don't know who we are. But if you want a family, we will be your family. And if you want a name, We will give you ours, and if you want a daddy, I'll be your daddy. That's how I got my oldest sister, my favorite sister. You might think I shouldn't have favorites, but I don't care. (laughs) She is now retired and living in in Alabama with the preacher husband that she spent a great deal of her life with in Africa. Twice surviving coups. Men with machine guns and machetes coming after them because they preached the Christ. Her grabbing her children and running out the back door as the men come in the front. When you ask her, why would you spend your life like this? She will tell you about the time that a big man she'd never seen before dropped in front of her and gave her a name. It was only few months later that she always wanted to do something to prove that she had value in the house and my father kept trying to say no you're, you're just a daughter you don't need to worry about that you have your place but eventually he gave in and he said well you can clean out the freezer and I don't know what all the things were going on but for some reason she forgot and at dinner he asked her did you clean out the freezer and she went pale and shook and got up so quickly her chair fell over and she ran out of the room to go clean it then I'd never seen my father cry before but he cried and went after her and he said, no, you need to know you don't have to clean a freezer to be in the family you don't have to work to be in the family you're in the family Jesus' message when he said, who are you looking for we're not looking for a vending machine God or a puppet God we're not looking for God to solve all our problems we're looking for God to adopt us And that's the God we found on Sunday morning. We've been given a name. We've been given ascension. We've been given no fear. This God will also make you ascend as he did his son. Your body will drop here, but please understand, come on, really. By the time that happens, aren't you done with it? You've even done with some bits of it before the rest of it dropped. You even replaced those. Some people have a new hip, new knees, new teeth, new ears, and I'm thinking, well, you're just ascending bet by bet. <laughs> the Bible says in Romans 8, 11, that the same spirit that made Jesus come out of the grave lives in you. Not one day not will one day. If you have come to faith in Jesus Christ and if you have gone down into the water in baptism, He lives in you now. And you might say, but I don't feel Him. understand the difference between feelings and facts. It doesn't matter what your feelings were. My sister Dolly left that table thinking she was in trouble. The fact was she was a loved daughter, not in trouble. You are loved. He will not keep you from all harm, but he will walk with you through it. I can remember the first time my son had to have stitches. I took him to the emergency room. It would not be the last time we went there. He's always been adventurous. As uh, they were getting him ready to put the shots in and do the, uh, this the old bicycle scar all boys have, and most girls do as well. He said, he looked over, he was, he was four or five, and he said, is this going to hurt And the PA there said, oh, no, no, it isn't. I just looked at the PA. I stepped in front of him and turned to my son, and I said, son, I don't lie to you. This is going to hurt. The PA was behind me just getting, I thought I was going to get the shot. (laughs) I said, "I, I can't stop this from hurting, but it needs to be done. He nodded. I said, this is what I will do, though. I'll put my hand over your eyes so you don't have to see and I'll hold your hand. That's what God does to us. He doesn't say, I won't make it not hurt, but I'll hold your hand. When my grandmother was found after a stroke, she never regained consciousness in a hospital for a few days. I made it, I'd just come back to America just in time for this and made it to her bedside and held her hand and I said, Mom, this is your, your grandson, Patrick. You need to know something. If you want to stay here, we will honor you and care for you every single day of your life. But God's got your other hand if you want to go with him. Within a few minutes, she took God's hand. He doesn't promise us no problems. He promises us presence. A life without problems? No, but a life without fear? yes no fear for you who are in Christ Jesus you are saved you are sanctified you are risen the risen Lord is in front of us and says follow me and we follow him join a larger story live for something bigger than yourself endure hardship like a good soldier knowing that it will be worth it all for we cannot die our Lord is risen and we have been adopted into the holy family of God the scene in Revelation 1 I'm going to read it in just a moment but before I do let me explain what's to my left and to my left sorry you're Americans it's not left laugh. When Kelsey said, y'all can have a seat, I turned to my wife and I said, I am never going to get used to this. But I must say that Kelsey and the team, you did a brilliant job. Thank you. Thank you so much. These are ugly crosses. They're supposed to be. They were made that way on purpose. There's chicken wire covering it, although, God bless them, the ladies of this church found the prettiest chicken wire they could find. And it's even kids safe because it's coated with plastic or something so kids won't get caught on it. And I'm thinking, you know, the point is danger. But anyway, we're about to take the Lord's Supper. Now, if you're a visitor here, you need to know something take. I don't care what religion you're from. He doesn't either. He didn't put any of that. He said, whosoever will may come. Who are we to put a restriction on what God said was open and free? The bread represents his body. The cup, it's grape juice. We don't put wine in it. There are weak kids here and the weak kids can have it. It represents his blood given for us. But we don't talk about the whips and nails. We talk about the risen Lord. Visit with each other. Pray with each other. Laugh with each other. Talk to each other. Tell your kids what's going on. And while you do all of this, make your way over. You may notice that many of people have flowers. Some of you don't, but that's all right. The people of this church love you, and they bought flowers, and they're already there. Come on up. Put flowers. This is 360 all the way up. Some tall people will be about if you need to reach something high. We want these to be changed from an ugly symbol of death to a symbol of beauty and life. Take your time. We have time for you. Take pictures. It's all right. People say, it's in a church. No, you're the church. This is merely a bunch of sticks and plaster that we're meeting in. Places aren't holy. People are. Take your time. Enjoy the process. After we're done with today and people are leaving, I am going to ask some fairly stout, muscular lads. Oh, well, and any lady that considers herself stout and muscular. <laughs> I'm going to let you select yourself on this one. <laughs> we want these taken out. It's going to be very difficult. You're going to drop flowers. Don't worry about it taken out and these two placed on the top of the steps outside. We want anybody walking by going to get lunch today to know what used to be ugly is now a thing of beauty. The Lord is risen. I'll read the scene. We'll have a prayer and bring you to the table. Revelation 1 verse 12, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. When I turned I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, a golden sash about his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead. And now look. I am alive forever and ever. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we believe in the risen Lord. We thank you for this bread that reminds us of the body he gave and his body now, the church, that we hallow as our family into which you've adopted us by his blood, the cup. As we take this, Father, we remember him and we remember each other and we pledge our faith to you and to each other that we will follow him. In the name of Jesus, all who agree say amen. Please stand, and at your own time, there are tables in the back, tables in the front. Come to the table.